Good morning again. I'm faking this energy, by the way. Just want to let you know that. I, uh, Ethan had his first ever sleepover at our house uh, Friday night, so we had a couple of his friends come over, second grade boys, and seven, eight years old, and running around, and, and uh, I mean, we, we did everything. We played soccer, and basketball, and baseball, and Nerf gun wars down in the basement, and, and all of this stuff, and my little four-year-old daughter, Morgan, she wanted to be with the guys, so she's running around everywhere, and she's got a mark on her head, because one of the boys actually tackled her, and she hit her head on the, on the cycling, stationary cycle down in the basement, and and uh, so we finally got into bed like 11.30, 11.45, something like that. And after multiple times of quieting them down, and then the cots didn't work. And so we had to take the cots out in the middle of the night and put down cushions from the couch and all that. I mean, we finally went to sleep. And like 6.08 in the morning, Saturday morning, uh, we hear voices. And I'm thinking it's a dream slash nightmare um, that they're awake already. And uh, Karen nudges me, you know, kindly, politely, as the wife always does, says, Honey? Your boys are awake. And I was like, seriously? <laughs> so I go downstairs. They're already piled on the couch together underneath their sleeping bags, and they're watching cartoons. And um, 6.09, uh, you know, cartoons are on. About 6.14, they're down in the basement with Nerf guns already, you know, playing Nerf guns wars again. And 6.45, Karen comes stumbling down the stairs and, and says something about going to get donuts, but I think she said, I'm running away. Um, and uh, I wasn't sure if she was coming back. And so she finally came back with the donuts, we got them all hyped up, went to the park, got back home. For some reason, I said, parents, pick them up at 11. I should have said like 7. Um, so to kill time, we go down into our valley behind our house. We live in, you know, um, back in the woods a little bit. We've got a steep valley behind us, and boys just love going down in there. And, and so Morgan wanted to go. Of course, she's one of the guys. She wanted to go. And, but the whole way down, it's like really steep. And so I'm carrying Morgan on my back, you know, guiding these three boys down through poison ivy infested woods into this creek, which is littered with glass. And all the way back up when Karen yells at us from the deck, and I'm carrying Morgan. And I felt like Luke Skywalker with Yoda, you know? You remember that? Was that Empire Strikes Back? You know, like running through the, the Hoth, whatever it was. And uh, maybe I got my Star Wars reference wrong there. But, um, you know, it was like trudging up this hill, holding her. And we were just exhausted. I mean, the boys left at 11, and we were asleep by 12 after eating lunch real quick. And, and then, of course, last night, what happens in Germantown, if you live in Germantown, your power went out at like 4.30 in the morning. So 4.30 in the morning, my subconscious tells me something is wrong and because we sleep with a fan on and it's not blowing anymore. And so I'm awake at 4.30 and I'm like, seriously? And uh, so I come up to the church here about 6.15, sitting out there, security lighting's on, no lights in here. I'm like, are we going to have church this morning? Is this going to work? And, and uh, so put the finishing touches on the sermon out there. So I'm faking the energy I'm giving you right now, okay? I'm just letting you know that, but go with it. Um, we, uh, we're in a series, we're actually ending it this morning called Lies We Believe. And uh, Pastor Bill has been teaching on that. He's given us five lies that, that we tend to believe in our lives. And uh, so I'm going to finish this out this morning. Um, this was, a, I actually wrote this sermon while I was running uh, one Friday on my, one of my long runs. I uh, woke up and my iPod wasn't charged and so I panicked. What am I going to do? And I guess I can't listen to music. And so all of a sudden I had to listen to God. Wow, what an amazing concept. And uh, so I knew I had this sermon coming up, and, and all of these thoughts just started going through my head, and, and uh, it took me a couple of weeks before I could find time to sit down and write them on paper. So uh, I think it's going to make sense. I hope so. If it doesn't, ask me questions later. Um, but Bill introduced every week with this statement, a lie believed as truth will affect you as if it were true. And he talked about how in all of our lives we have these things that whisper into our ears. A little still small voices that we hear that, that are lies that are perpetrated by multiple sources. Um, the first one, we talked about Satan and, and the spiritual warfare we go through. Uh, when we take on the name of Christ, Satan notices. 
And when we take on the name of Christ and we do something with that, Satan notices even more. You see, he doesn't care if we come to church and we check off church as another to-do thing for our week. Went to church one hour. He could care less. But if you start living your life for Christ and you start making a difference in the world in the name of Christ and to bring Christ's glory and honor in this world, Satan is going to take notice. And Satan is going to start to whisper things in your ears. Every Saturday night before I preach, I get the same message from Satan. You're not good enough. You don't know enough about the Bible. Why should anybody listen to you? That is a battle I fight every Saturday night before I come to church and preach on Sunday morning. And it's just there. It's like Satan's the opposite of Stuart Smalley. You guys remember Stuart Smalley? Saturday Night Live? Anybody? Yeah? He, he was this self-help guy who usually broke down in tears himself and his guests had to help him. And, uh, but he'd always have them look in the mirror, right? And they'd say this, I'm good enough, I'm smart enough, and doggone it, people like me. My favorite episode ever was when Michael Jordan sat there and said that to the mirror and he couldn't keep a straight face because he was good enough and doggone it, people do like him. Um, but Satan is like the, the antithesis of Stuart Smalley. And he's there and he's whispering in our ears and he's saying, you're not good enough. You're not, you're not, you think you're a Christian, you're not good enough to be a Christian. You know what you've done? You're not smart enough. You don't, you don't know enough about the Bible. Who do you think you are to become a small group leader or to, to teach kids in Sunday school? You don't know enough. You're, you're not, nobody likes you. You know, like when you do things, like nobody's, they're talking about you behind your back. And those are the, the still small voices that we hear from Satan. As well, we, we begin to see our culture whisper into our ears. Um, throughout history, culture has, has adapted and changed and, and some would say evolved into this better culture. But I would question whether it really is better. Because are, are the standards that we see set in, in our world today, are they really better than they were 10 years ago, 20 years ago, 50 years ago, 2,000 years ago? And, and yet we, we become so indoctrinated by our culture that we forget what the Word of God says. And we begin to shape the Word of God based on our culture rather than the other way around. Um, a, a phrase I use with leaders oftentimes uh, is, we cannot allow culture to shape our view of the Bible. In other words, we can't let what culture says is right and wrong to dictate what this says. We can't adapt this to fit our culture. We must allow the Bible to shape our view of culture. Uh, modern marketing uh, whispers lies into our ears. You need this item. You can't live without this item. I was tempted to buy a sham wow the other day at Walmart. I'm, I'm like, you know, that, that last aisle right thing right there, all the little small stuff they put there. I'm, like, I'm sitting there, and I saw the sham wow, and I thought of that guy with the big microphone thing, you know, rinsing it out and doing all this. Like, I suddenly needed a sham wow. And I, I didn't buy one, but marketing will tell us that. And marketing will begin to tell us what we should look like and how we should act. Last service, my daughter was sitting in here because Karen attended first service and then is serving in the nursery second service. And so my, my four-year-old daughter was in here. And as, I, as I'm saying this, I'm looking at her, and, and I'm like, what is it that modern marketing is going to tell her that she must look like, that she must dress like, the things that she has to believe and act like and do to be accepted in this world? Those are lies that modern marketing is going to perpetrate and, and whisper in our ears. And then, unfortunately, sometimes family and friends are those lies that whisper in our ears, lies that, that would take us away from biblical truth. Uh, this past week, I got to go home. I was, I was honored to go to the funeral of, of my spiritual grandfather. Uh, not my actual grandfather, but a, a family that was instrumental in me coming to Christ. Um, I grew up with his three grandsons. And uh, the grandfather passed away uh, over the weekend. And 
Uh, he was a World War II veteran, spent 14 months in a, in a German prisoner of war camp, and came back and started a couple businesses, raised a family. Just a great man of God, uh, loved his family, loved his, his nation, served them all with dignity and honor. And, uh, I mean, it was an incredible legacy that he's leaving for his kids and his grandkids. Well, this was a family I grew up with and three brothers. And, and so one of the things we always did when we were teenagers, we always hung out in their driveway or in their backyard, and we just kind of talked. We talked late in the night, 2, 3 o'clock in the morning. And we talk about our dreams, our hopes. We talk about the Bible and about God and, and all of this stuff. Well, Monday night, we, we all got together again, you know, the night of uh, the eve of the grandfather's funeral. And uh, we ended up at their house again, you know, just kind of like old days. And I, I went into this. I'm like, man, I'm, I'm so looking forward to this. And uh, we, we sat back there. And all of a sudden, my family and friends, you know, we're all about the same age. Um, they all of a sudden brought out bottle after bottle of alcohol. And they started drinking. And this was a change from the people I grew up with. And, and profanities were just flying left and right. And I'm just getting more and more annoyed. And finally, at one point, I, I just couldn't take it anymore. I said, I said, you know, I, I remember when our conversations were more pure and holy than this. And one of, I forget who, but one of my friends or my family members said, you know what, Chris? We grew up. And I went, wow. That's a sad statement to make. And because we're now adults, we can act like children. Because we're now mature, we can act immature. And it, I, just, I walked away. It was like 1230 at night. You know, I walked away, and I was so frustrated, so irritated with my family and friends. Because they bought into this lie, because they've gotten older, they can now, you know, balance this lifestyle they want to live with what Scripture teaches. They all know what Scripture teaches. They were raised in a Christian home. But they're, they're living opposite of that now. And I could easily fall into that. So your friends and family, Satan, culture, marketing, friends and family, they're all going to whisper into your ear and tell you lies. Tell you things that are they're going to distract, distract you from what God's Word says. And, and sometimes those lies are obvious. Sometimes they're, they're a little more subtle. And it's a, it's a slow fade. You heard that song last Sunday. It's a slow fade of one small decision after another until all of a sudden you're a completely different person than you ever thought you'd be. So what's our lie for today as we close out uh, this series? Well, it's, it's Labor Day. So our lie is I am what I do. Now, that, that could be a little ambiguous, because what do you mean by I am? Um, you know, are we going to be, become philosophers here? Um, well, really what I'm talking about is your identity and your self-worth. The lie is that my... I almost killed myself last service over this thing. Um, the lie is that because of what I do... My identity is defined by what I do. My self-worth is defined by what I do. And so as I'm running a couple of weeks ago, and I'm thinking about this, I'm like, okay, what are the things that we do where we find our identity? Well, I, I thought of our careers, what we do for a living. What are some careers that are, are represented in the room? What do you guys do for a living? Anybody? Teach. Marketing. Engineer? There's another one I heard. Sales? Are sales and marketing the same thing? I'm just curious. Is there a difference? Okay. I was a management or an information systems major, not a marketing major. So, um, All right, what else? 
I know we have a police officer. I'm, I'm going to add one because maybe, maybe there's people out there they want to say it, but they're not sure if they, they should. Homemaker. I, I learned a long time ago, you don't tell a, a stay-at-home mom that she didn't have a job. Okay, um, they have harder jobs than we who leave the house and go to work do, um, and and women especially who work outside the home and have to balance the requirements at home. Uh, in fact, we're looking at offering small groups for women just like that. It's called nine to fivers. A little plug. It's in your groups brochure. Um, so you know, I, I learned a long time ago when we were in Chicago. Karen worked on my days off, so I was home with the kids. I was responsible for him. Wow. I've never worked. So I've got a buddy who lost his job. His wife's working full-time as an engineer. He's full-time stay-at-home dad. He cannot wait to get a job and get out of the house. Um, all right, so we're, we're defined. We find our identity, our self-worth by what we do. We say, I'm, I'm a teacher, I'm a marketer, I'm an engineer, I'm, I'm a salesman, a police officer, I'm a homemaker. Um, not, not only do we find our identity here, but we find our identity by our actions both good and bad. When we do good things, our self-worth seems to increase. When we do bad things, our self-worth decreases. And then you've got to throw in here as well, things, oh, that's a B, meant to be a D. It's harder to write up here with like 400 people looking at you than you think. Things done to us. Uh, I've, I've talked to a lot of people who've experienced uh, physical, sexual, mental abuse when they were kids, and they cannot let go of that. Their self-worth and their identity is back in their childhood days, and they cannot let go of that burden. Okay, So we, we have our identity, our self-worth, identified by our careers and by our actions, both good and bad, and the things that are done to us. But there's something wrong here. When, when we look at that, Intrinsically, we know there's something wrong. Because if we find our identity based on our career, then when our career is going well, we have a strong self-worth. But if our career is going poorly, we have a poor self-worth. Engineers, Caterpillar employees, people who are associated with Caterpillar, anybody else in the the working environment right now, um, you're running the risk of being laid off at any moment. And I've talked to a lot of people that they get laid off and all of a sudden they're like, who am I? What, what, what am I supposed to do? I've never dealt with this before. Like, what, where, where's my identity? Where's my self-worth? If I don't have a job, where's my self-worth? In sales, if you have a, a year that's great, you make a lot of money in, in one year. And your, your self-worth is like, man, this, this is great. I'm doing superb. And then the next year you tank and you have the worst year ever. What does it do to your self-worth? It's very natural. It, all of a sudden you're like, man, am I, am I really supposed to be a salesman? Am I really good at this? It's because we've, we've put our identity based on our career by what we do, our self-worth. Um, when, when I graduated college, 22 years old, I owned a Dairy Queen. Um, had an opportunity, a long story how it happened. But incredible opportunity. Made more money than I'll probably ever make in my life at 22 years old. Um, Paid off all my college loans within a year of graduating college. Incredible blessing this job was, but it also came with its downside. Um, paid off all my college loans, paid cash for two cars, 
which is a fun thing to do when you're 22 years old. Um, and you walk in, you negotiate, you know, we, we bought a, it was 1996. I bought a 1994 Camry, you know, really nice car for Karen. Got to negotiate all down. And salesman said, let me go get the, uh, the finance manager. I said, oh, no, I, I don't need to finance it. I'm just going to write you a check. And he's like, what? You know, look at this 22-year-old punk kid. And I said, well, I'm, I can do that, right? I honest, that was an honest question. I'd never bought a car with cash before. I'm like, I, I can just write you a personal check, right? And he's like, yeah, we're going to have to confirm funds. I'm like, hey, that's, that's fine. Verify funds away. And, you know, then it, I started to gloat a little bit. Um, but, you know, had, had an incredible opportunity with this job. Made more money than I, ever, I will probably ever make in my life on an annual basis. And yet at the end of that year, as I look back, Karen and I had had very little time with each other. We, we had a lot of time in the store. I mean, it was, a, it was a small store, and we were close quarters, and, and unfortunately there were a lot of arguments, and there were a lot of things said that should never have been said, um, things that I said that I should never have said to my wife. And we, we look back at that, and we're like, yeah, we made great money, and we were very successful and, as business owners, but my family was starting to fall apart. Um, we, we went to church, but we couldn't do anything more than that. We had to go to early service and then be out the door because we were open on Sundays, and so we had to be there you know, at the Dairy Queen, so we could never get involved in the church. It was just our lives were not what we anticipated. But from a worldly standpoint, from a career standpoint, we were successful. We had great self-worth. In fact, my identity, I was known as the Dairy Queen guy um, because we go to church and they're like, hey, you're the Dairy Queen guy. You know, I'd, I'd substitute taught in the high school for, during the, the off-season for the store and they'd be like, hey, the Dairy Queen guys are sub this, you know, today. That was my identity. I was known as the Dairy Queen guy and I was very successful at that. But what nobody saw was what was going on inside of my heart. And behind the scenes. And, and, and children, oh my gosh. If your identity is, is, is based, if your self-worth is based on how well your kids listen and obey, <laughs> we have no self-worth, any of us that are parents, do we? I mean, I go home and, and there are times where I'm just banging my head against the wall trying to figure out what to do with a 7-year-old and a 4-year-old. You know, I'm like, and it's humbling when your kids call you out on it. I mean, the, the other night I was just so frustrated like, Banged the table. My seven-year-old jumped because it was about him. And I, I yelled at him. And he, he, he told me later, I mean, he went out of the room screaming and crying. And, of course, that, that made me feel good, you know. And, and not really. That was sarcasm. Um, <laughs> since we're recording this, I wanted to make sure that was known. Um, so Karen comes to me later. She says, hey, we need to talk about our discipline. And I'm like, I know. And, and it was humbling when Ethan, later that night, he said, Dad, I, I don't like it when you hit the table. I don't like it when you yell. And I went to bed that night, and I'm like, what am I doing as a father? Why, do I even know what the, Do I have any worth as a father? And then last service, my son's in, in first service. Sorry, this is total tangent, ad lib here. Um, Betty McCoy comes up to me. She was Ethan's teacher, and they were talking about people and things and all that stuff. And my son wrote on his little paper that he wanted to be exactly like his dad. And i got to tell you, that brought my self-worth up pretty good from that moment earlier this week. But if we find our identity, our self-worth, based on what we do, then when we're successful, we have a strong self-worth, and when we're not, we have a low self-worth. Not only that, but our actions. Uh, I'm sorry, let me, let me give you some scripture real quick. Um, I'm, I'm going to cover a lot of ground with scripture today. Ecclesiastes chapter 2, King Solomon. 
It says, I undertook great projects. I built houses for myself and planted vineyards. I made gardens and parks and planted all kinds of fruit trees in them. I made reservoirs to water groves of flourishing trees. I brought male, bought male and female slaves and had other slaves who were born in my house. I also owned more herds and flocks than anyone in Jerusalem before me. I amassed silver and gold for myself and the treasure of kings and provinces. I acquired men and women singers and a harem as well, the delights of the heart of man. I became greater by far than anyone in Jerusalem before me. I became the most successful person in my career. In all this, my wisdom stayed with me. I denied myself nothing my eyes desired. I refused my heart no pleasure. My heart took delight in all my work, and this was a reward for all my labor. Yet, when I had surveyed all that my hands had done and what I had toiled to achieve, everything was meaningless, a chasing after the wind. We cannot find our self-worth, our identity, in what we do as a career. Nor can we find our self-worth in our actions uh, based on, on what we do that's, that's good or bad or things that are done to us. See, when we start to do that, we start to say that because I do good things, I have strong self-worth. And because I do bad things, I have low self-worth. It's, it's easy to put that on ourselves, but then the next step is to put that on other people. And if, if you do good things, then you have worth in my eyes. And if you do bad things, then you have no worth in my eyes. It's a, it's a slippery slope that begins to happen um, based on it. And what happens, unfortunately, is, is, is what Christians are stereotyped as, having this holier-than-thou attitude, where we say, we do good things. We, we, we make wise decisions, and we follow a moral code, and, and we make a difference in the world, and you don't. So we are better than you. Unfortunately, that's the way that we as Christians are often perceived and yet that's not the way that God calls us to be. Uh, in fact, we have an ex- experience here that Jesus has in John chapter 8. It says, At dawn he appeared again in the temple courts where all the people gathered around him, and he sat down to teach them. The teachers of the law and the Pharisees brought in a woman caught in adultery. They made her stand before the, the group and said to Jesus, Teacher, this woman was caught in the act of adultery. In the law, Moses commanded us to stone such women. Now what do you say? They were using this question as a trap in order to have a basis for accusing him. So here we have a scenario set up where, where the woman made a bad decision and in the eyes of the Pharisees and the eyes of the people that brought her, she was bad. She had no self-worth. But they, they never committed adultery. They had never done that. And so in their own eyes, they had greater self-worth than she did. Jesus bends down and starts to ride on the ground with his finger. When they kept on questioning him, he straightened up and said to them, If any one of you is without sin... Let him be the first to throw a stone at her. Again, he stooped down and wrote on the ground. Some people speculate that as Jesus knelt down and wrote in the dust, he was writing the names of the guys um, and or he was writing the, the, the names of their sins. So that, yeah, they never committed adultery, but, but they got angry. They cheated. They lied. They worshiped things other than God. So he kneels down and he writes again. It says that this, those who heard began to go away one at a time. The older ones first until only Jesus was left with the woman still standing there. Jesus straightened up and asked her, a Woman, where are they? Has no one condemned you? No one, sir, she said. Then neither do I condemn you, Jesus declared. Go now and leave your life of sin. See, what those people realize is what Scripture teaches us in Romans is that all have sinned and all have fallen short of the glory of God. But standing before God, we're all bad people. We all have not met the mark. The classic argument of why do bad things happen to good people, who says there are good people? Who makes that determination that one person is good and one person is bad? We do when we determine our self-worth based on our actions, 
And Jesus debunks that there. Uh, last Saturday, I was training our small group leaders and uh, getting ready for the fall semester. And, and we were talking about the, the, the benefits of small group two Saturdays ago. Was it two? I don't know. One of my small group coaches over here is like, it's two, Chris, two Saturdays ago. All right, details. Um, so I'm, I'm talking about the importance of, of small groups and why we do them. And so I kind of threw that question out. I said, why do we do it? And, and one of the small group leaders, he, he said, you know, he goes, I think one of the biggest advantages of small groups is, you know, you come in on Sunday morning and, and everybody looks good. They got their best clothes on. They got their best face on. You know, everybody's life is grand and all put together. And then when you get to small group midweek, you realize that everybody else is just as screwed up as you are. And he's like, that's a liberating moment for me. He's like, because I thought I was the only one. We cannot determine our self-worth based on our actions. We cannot determine our self-worth based on our career choice. So what do we base our self-worth on? Well, thankfully, I don't have to tell you. God's Word will tell you. Genesis chapter 1 says, God said, Let us make man in our image, in our likeness, and let them rule over the fish of the sea and the birds of the air, over the livestock, over all the earth, and over all the creatures that move along the ground. So God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created them. Male and female, he created them. When we look at our identity, our self-worth, the first place that we need to look is to realize and accept that our worth comes by being made in the image of God. And that is eternal. That is unchanging. Whether we have a good year in sales or a bad year, whether we do good things or bad things, we are all made in the image of God, and that cannot change. Nobody can take that away from us, even if they do bad things to us. Uh, Secondly, we find that in uh, Romans, Paul talks about another way we find our identity. He says, uh, if you live according to the sinful nature, you will die. But if by the Spirit you put to death the misdeeds of the body, you will live. Because those who are led by the Spirit of God are sons of God. For you do not receive a spirit that makes you a slave again to fear, but you receive the spirit of sonship. And that word sonship there literally stands for adoption. And in the Jewish culture, when a, a, a boy or a girl was adopted by a family, they had equal rights as natural-born sons and daughters. And it says, and by him we cry, Abba, Father. The Spirit himself testifies with our spirit that we are God's children. Now, if we are children, then we are heirs, heirs of God and co-heirs with Christ. And so, secondly, being made in the image of God, but now we are also to see ourselves as children of God. No matter our career path, no matter what we do in life, if we accept Christ and we have his spirit inside of us, then we are children of God. And then one more. 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 17. Short verse. Encourage you to memorize it. If anyone is in, is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has gone, the new has come. We are a new creation. I, I think that's why we see people's names change in Scripture. We see Levi, the tax collector, changed to Matthew. We see Simon, the fisherman, changed to Peter, the rock. We see Saul, the persecutor, changed to Paul, the apostle. Because they wanted to, to literally physically change their name so that their perspective would begin to shift. They would see that they are new creation. So we find our identity, we find our self-worth by being made in the image of God, by being children of God, and by being a new creation. And what does that mean for the rest? 
What does that mean for our careers and for our actions? Well, it means that we need to shift our perspective that, that we're no longer a, a teacher, but we're a child of God made in the image of God. We're a new creation who happens to teach. We're not a salesman. We're made in the image of God, a, a child of God, a new creation who happens to do sales as a career. We're not a homemaker. We're, an, we're made in the image of God. We're a child of God. We're a new creation who happens to be responsible for small children. When you shift your perspective about your identity and your self-worth and root it here, this changes. Uh, Paul's teaching in Philippians uh, chapter 3. He says, If anyone else thinks he has reasons to put confidence in the flesh, I have more. Circumcised on the eighth day of the people of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of Hebrews in regard to the law of Pharisee, as for zeal, persecuting the church, as for legalistic righteousness, faultless. He had done everything, actions and career-wise, to have incredible self-worth. And then he encounters Christ. Road to Damascus. Life has changed. And he says now, But what was to ever to my profit, I now consider loss for the sake of Christ. What is more, I consider everything a loss, compared to the surpassing greatness of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord, for whose sake I have lost all things. I consider them rubbish. And that's a tame word in the NIV translation because the literal Greek word there is dung, poop, crap. He says, I consider it all that worthless, that pointless in our lives. He says that I may gain Christ and be found in him. When we shift our perspective, our identity is found in God and it doesn't matter about our career. We need to begin to see our career through the eyes of God. We begin to say, you know what, maybe there's, maybe there's a mission that God has for me in my workplace. Maybe my mission is not simply to, to be an engineer, but maybe my mission is to, to influence other engineers for the sake of Christ. And yes, I get paid to, to do the job of an engineer, but my real goal there is to be salt and light in that office to set the moral temperature, the moral code for that office. You need to shift your perspective. And when we begin to see our image of God, see our identity through the image of God and the, the children of God, new creation, and then our actions look differently as well. Because we, we no longer beat ourselves up when we do bad things. We no longer hold, hold all this stuff inside and say, man, what if, look at me. I can't do anything right. I'm, I keep struggling with the same sin over and over and over. And when we begin to see ourselves as being made in the image of God and a child of God and we're a new creation, then we can say, I, I am a follower of Christ who struggles with blank. That does not have power over me. That cannot take away my self-worth. Yes, I'm, I sin. We all sin. We're all going to continue to sin. But if we let our sin dictate our lives, let our sin define our self-worth, then it's a defeating battle and Satan has won, our, has won our ear. We need to let God hear our ear that, yes, you sin, but you are still my child. You are still a new creation. I have forgiven you already. And what we need to say when we sin is, Father, thank you for forgiving me. Thank you for letting me continue to walk in your presence. Uh, Paul is writing to Timothy in 1 Timothy 1. And he says, I thank Christ Jesus, our Lord, who has given me strength, that he considered me faithful, appointing me to his service. Even though I was once a blasphemer and a persecutor and a violent man, he did all the wrong stuff. He did bad actions. He says, but it, he says, I was shown mercy because I acted in ignorance and unbelief. 
the grace of our Lord was with me, or was poured out on me abundantly along with the faith and love that are in Christ Jesus. Here is a trustworthy saying that deserves full acceptance. Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners, of whom I am the worst. Let's keep this in perspective. This is, this is a guy who wrote two-thirds of the New Testament. And he's saying that I am the chief of sinners. I am the worst person in the world. And yet God still chose to work through him. God still used him. And it's because Paul understood his identity. He didn't let his sins, he didn't let the bad stuff he did dictate his life. And he goes on and he says, But for that very reason I was shown mercy so that in me, the worst of sinners, Christ Jesus might display his unlimited patience as an example for those who would believe on him and receive eternal life. And this is a great prayer. Now to the king, eternal, immortal, invisible, the only God, be honor and glory forever and ever. Amen. If you ever go to my blog, I've got the address on the bottom of my email. If you ever go to my blog, there's a, there's a sentence up there underneath the title of the blog. And it says, who you are is more important than what you do. I learned that a long time ago. I've had jobs where I made great money. I'm, I've got a job now where I make average money. And we're content. We're fine. Because it's not about how much money I make. It's not about the things that I do wrong. And, and there's, I mean, I do things wrong almost every day. And yet I remember that, that God loves me. That I'm his child. That I'm a new creation. And that God still wants to walk alongside me and still use me. And so I allow him to. When you begin to shift your perspective about your identity and where your self-worth comes from, you're going to hear God's voice in your ear more and more. And you're going to hear less and less of Satan in your ear. You're going to hear less and less of, of culture telling you you've got to believe and act and, and do certain things. And marketers. You're going to hear less of, of things that your, fa- your family and friends say to do that oppose Scripture. Because you're rooted in God, and you're rooted in His Word. Thank you for listening to Great Oaks Community Church's weekly podcast. For more series and podcast information, go to greatoakscc.org.